uh, your singing this morning uh, reflects your responsiveness in my estimation to the Spirit's work to worship the Father empowered by the Spirit in accordance with the truth. And so thank you for your participation. Uh, It was a delight to praise God with you that way. And we are going to continue to worship God now as we open our Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 15. Let's pray. Father, we are delighted to remember your gracious act in sending your Son. Lord Jesus, we are delighted to remember your act of laying down your life. Thank you. Thank you, Spirit of God, for illuminating our minds to understand these truths and making us alive. Thank you, Spirit of God, for your work in us, enabling us to worship. Father, we pray that we would be responsive to your word this morning, that we would truly continue to worship you in every aspect of what you have provided for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all have obligations in our lives. Either you pay rent or a mortgage, or perhaps you have paid off your home, but you have your other mortgage, property tax. And if you are a resident of Warwick, your property tax went up over 25% this year, which I'm sure made you very happy. We have no choice but to pay up on these obligations. The same holds true if you have a car payment. Every month, you need to pay up. Most of my bills I have set up in auto pay. This eliminates the possibility of late payments. Hooray for me. I haven't made any late payments. All payments on time. And quite frankly, it hurts a little bit less (laughs) to not have that conscious awareness of having to shell out the money. You know, I can't fathom not paying my bills. These are obligations. Every time you go to a restaurant and use your credit card, you sign. You know what that's saying? I plan to pay this. Does the restaurant really care? They're going to get their money from the credit card company. But your credit card company cares, which is why you sign. You're saying, I will pay this money that I am obligating myself to. It's an obligation. And this really is the way, in some sense, that Paul... Uh, writes to the church at Rome as he starts chapter 15. He lets us know that we have an obligation to one another. And this is not something that we can set up in auto pay. We don't set it and forget it like our bills. We need to have a conscious awareness of our responsibilities toward one another. If you set it and forget it, it means you're not going to do it you will fail at your obligation to your brother or sister in Christ. We will move through our study this morning looking at three obligations upon us. But before we dive into those obligations in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, let's review where we've come in our study. In chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, we recognize the call upon the church. That's Everyone that's trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The call is to welcome one another. And the reason is, we are God's servants. 
welcome one another. We, not just I, we are God's servants. I'm God's servant. You are God's servant. So we welcome one another. As we moved a little further to verses 10 through 12, we recognize we need to welcome one another because we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will give an account of ourselves before God. And so we need to welcome one another. And then in chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, we noted this. We must welcome one another because we are to reflect the kingdom of God. Or you could say, if you wanted to tweak it just a little bit, you could say, we are to welcome one another because we are to reflect the spirit of God's kingdom. As we come to chapter 15, the first four verses, what we want to notice is this big idea is welcome one another because we are to reflect the gospel. Welcome one another. We are to reflect the gospel. Take a look, please, at verse 1 of Romans chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We are to welcome one another because we are to reflect the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not accomplishing the purposes of welcoming one another if we are not pointing one another and helping one another in our pursuit toward Christ-likeness, in our pursuit toward Christ. The first obligation that we want to notice is this. We must bear one another's burdens. Verse 1, we who are strong. Now, is this talking about physical strength? No. Strong in the faith is the contrast to the way chapter 14 and verse 1 begins, which is the weak in the faith. Verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. Chapter 15, We who are the strong in the faith have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We're going to take just a moment here and talk about this word obligation. Obligation. He uses the word ophalo. He used it in uh, two chapters previously. Take a look there at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. In the first seven verses, he deals with our responsibility as Christians, as the Christian church, as the community of God before the governing authorities, verses 1 through 7. And then he transitions from that about our obligations to one another. And he says in verse 8 and following, Owe no one anything except to do what? Love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what? The fulfilling 
of the law. He tells us to owe no one anything except owe your brother something. You and I owe each other something, and that is love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If I love you, will I kill you? Class? If I love you, will I steal your money? Will I steal your wife? Will I steal your maidservant? Your manservant? Your donkey? Your chariot? No. No, that's not a reflection of love. If I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to murder you. If you love your dad, are you going to honor him? Yes. If you love your mom, are you going to honor her? Yes. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So, that's the base of this. He says, we have an obligation. The strong have an obligation to the, to the weak. What are we obligated to do back in chapter 15 and verse 1? We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. The word failings has to do with possibly weaknesses or, maybe like this one, I think it's the New King James that has scruples. Bear with the scruples of the weak. The insufficiencies. Now, it's not infirmities like an illness. It's like something they're doing wrong. Bear with the wrongs of the weak. And the word there is adunitas. Ah is an alpha primitive for those of you students. It negates what's about to happen. And dunitas has the idea of power. Those without power. Those without strength. Those without ability. The word is used around the New Testament in several places. Seven times that word adunitas is translated, ready? Impossible. That's an important understanding. To understand what he's saying. Bear with the failings of those with whom it is impossible. Why is it impossible? Because they are weak in the faith. It's nothing is impossible, scripturally speaking, as far as doing what God has called us to do when we walk by faith. Nothing is impossible. None of the commands of God are impossible with the grace of God enabling us. God does not require what he does not enable, but he enables not through our strength, but through our weakness. And in our weakness, we say, I can't do this, Lord, but I know that you can. Bear with the sinfulness, scruples, insufficiency, weakness of those with whom it is weak. They are weak. The same word is used, this uh, concept of adunitas and the word weakness is used earlier in the book of Romans. I want you to take a look there with me, please. Romans chapter 8. Both of these words are used. Verse 3, please. Here's what he says. For God has done what the law weakened. There's our word, weakened, by the flesh. And here's our other word, could not do. What the law couldn't do because of the weakness of the flesh... God has done in our stead. Isn't that beautiful? I think we call that the gospel, don't we? Wherever we see our weakness, our sin, our insufficiency, and our inability, and we see God coming with His gracious, enabling power and fulfilling what we cannot fulfill, we see gospel, we see grace. And it is from page one to page 
Give me a second. In my really good Bible, 1,213. All of the pages in between, we see the gospel and we see grace. God's ability fulfilling what my inability cannot. Owe no man anything but to love, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 15, you who are the strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses, the failings of those who cannot, those who, who, who don't have the ability. What is it that we're supposed to do? What is he calling us to bear with? Um, what are we supposed to do? He says to bear with. The word is bastadzo, bastadzo. It has the idea of lifting up or bearing. Take a look, please, with me at the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. It's a great context. The Lord Jesus is with his disciples. In verse 14 and 15, he is going to heal Peter in, uh, Peter's mother-in-law from her sickness. In verse 16, it says, that evening, is everyone there? Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. That evening, they brought to him, to Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed how many? All who were sick. What a glorious thing this is. A manifestation that the kingdom had drawn near. The kingdom of God has drawn near you, because guess who was there? The king. Wherever the king is, There is the kingdom. And Jesus is presenting himself. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he's healing all, all of the diseases of anyone that came to him universally. This is what Jesus is doing. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities, or illnesses, excuse me, and he bore our diseases. There's our word. He bore. He bastadzoed. He bore our diseases. The same concept. Bearing up. Bearing with. It's not just bearing with, oh, I can tolerate you. Unfortunately, that's how sometimes some people deal with this. Well, I'll put up with you as long as you stay over there. I'll put up with you from a distance. I can wave at you across the auditorium. Just don't, don't really, I, I don't want to have table fellowship with you. We're not going to go out for coffee. We're not going to bear one another's burdens. We're just going to put up with one another. That's not the concept. Uh, the Bible lets us know about our responsibility as the strong. Now again, we're not talking, here, look at me. I, <clears throat> I am one of the strong. And you poor weaklings, I'm going to take care of you. It's not like this. It's about the strong in the faith. God has enabled me to to know him. God has enabled me to trust him. He has alivened within me a strength that regardless of what is swirling around, I know what his word says, and that is my rock bed. That's my foundation. And I will not there to the left, or veer to the right. I will not do that because God has given me this strong-rooted faith in him. It's not about this proud uh, pride. It's about being who God has enabled you to be. And one of the calls in our lives is to care for those 
in need. The Bible says it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verses 14 and 15, the Bible says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, that's small-souled or weak-souled, help, help, come alongside of the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Both the NAS and the ESV have helped the weak. The King James says, support the weak. And the New King James has, I like this is the translation I prefer best on this matter, uphold, uphold the weak. Not just, hey, let me help you with your groceries. Hey, let me um, paint that fence for you. Those are good things to do. That, that's that's a, an extra element of helping someone. But that's not the kind of help he's talking about. He's talking about holding someone up. The word there is used in the New Testament elsewhere in Matthew 6.24 and in Luke 16.13, and it's translated devoted. Devoted, devoted. What do you mean? Devoted to the weak. The same word is used in Titus chapter 1 and in verse 9 about the uh, qualification of the elder. It says he must hold firmly to the trustworthy messages as it has been taught. So this is a characteristic of, of one who should be in spiritual leadership. He holds tightly to the truth of the word, to the foundational doctrines, to the gospel, so we can rightly proclaim it to others. And this same word is used to talk about helping the weak. Hold on to them. Be devoted to them. Don't, don't quit on them just because they're different. Don't quit on them because they're failing, because they're struggling along in the faith. If they're truly one of God's people, they need to be lifted up. They need to be helped. They need to be cared for. This is our obligation. Don't set it and forget it. It's not going to get the job done. We look for people struggling and care enough about them because of what God has done in their lives to come and, and lift them up. But what if, they're, what if they're sinning? What if they're caught up, snatched up in sin? Well, here's what the Bible says about that in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that's the strong, should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Will you read the rest of this with me? Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There is a call, brothers and sisters, an obligation for us to be spiritually helping one another. As a general rule, this is a broad brush stroke now, people spend too much time judging and despising and not enough time bearing one another up. Rather than condemning we should be lifting one another, reminding one another of our gracious 
merciful God. There's a way. There's a way of speaking the truth in love. Coming along someone who's professed faith in Christ, is walking a different road, coming alongside of them. You can come down hot and heavy on them. Condemnation and judgment, and, and that's going to be between you and the Lord if that's the methodology that you think that you ought to take in a particular situation. I would really bathe that in prayer before you start breathing down fire and brimstone on someone. There's another way about talking about the kind of God that they are abandoning. Reminding them of who they're leaving behind. Who they are forsaking. The one that has demonstrated his care for them. That has loved them by sending his son. There's a way of conveying the kind of merciful, gracious, generous, compassionate, long-suffering God that they have chosen to walk away from and pointing them back to Him. Welcoming one another requires a willingness to come to the spiritual aid of our brothers and sisters. This welcoming one another and bearing of one another's burdens is further described back in Romans 15. Let's head back there, please, to Romans 15. This bearing of one another's burdens is further described as seeking one another's good. Look what it says again in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Instead of pleasing ourselves, we are directed to seek the pleasure, the, bet, the betterment of others. We are to seek one another's good. This word pleasing has been used numerous ways throughout the New Testament, one of which time it was Herod was pleased well with Herodias' daughter's dance that pleased him. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles mentioned, well, we've got all this complaining, and it's not right for us to leave the Word of God and serve tables. And so let's call out seven men of good reputation and, and set them over these matters. And that saying pleased the multitude or the congregation. They, were, they approved of it. Numerous times in the New Testament, the Word is uh, related to whether we please God or please men. So there's the concept of the Word, not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing our neighbor, doing what is a, a, of the approval of our neighbor. Now, he then defines what he means by that. It's not like, well, you want me to do your laundry for a month. That'll please you well. It's not that. It's for his good. Agathos. For his betterment. To beautify him. To make him more like Christ. What is it that he's calling us to do in order to, to accomplish this? It's to build one another up. My, my neighbor's good is to build him up, to lift him up, not to puff him up, but to build him up in Christ. This is the goal of every Christian relationship. Take a deep breath. Think about your relationships with other believers. Think about your nearest and dearest friend. Move out a step. Move out a step. Move out another step. When you come to the very last friend, the goal is the same between the first one and the last one, to build one another up. 
This is intentional. This takes time. This takes effort. This takes prayer. And this takes a plan. Take a look, please, at Ephesians chapter 4. This is one of those passages that it's rich, and I go back to it over and over again. And the reason I do for myself and the reason I do for us as a church is this is God laying out for us very, very clearly the strategy that He has for His church. There are all kinds of strategies that all kinds of people have for all kinds of organizations, including CEO pastors for their organization, the church. And they've got all kinds of strategies and they follow it and it, and it booms. But I will have you know, this is not a corporation. Now, technically, we're a nonprofit organization and you have to follow those rules, but that's not the point. This is the body of Jesus Christ and God has laid out for us the marching orders of the church. This is how to orchestrate appropriate ministry. These are the goals that a church ought to have. So let's take a look, please. It involves this very item of building one another up in Christ. Verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, okay? The apostles and prophets, they were those sent by God. They um, were the revealers of New Testament and Old Testament truth, depending on how you take apostles and prophets. Regardless of how you take it, ultimately they've laid a foundation for the church in the revealed word of God, okay? Apostles and prophets. Then you have evangelists. Guess what they do? They go and give the gospel. What's the point? to send people into the body of Christ, the church. And what happens once they get into the church? There are shepherds and teachers to do what? Well, that's what we're about to see in verses 12 and following. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. How long should we do this? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Well, what, what do we do about it? Well, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Well, who should be involved? From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So God, this is incredible, God has called people into His church and uses those people to build one another up. Now, true increase only comes from Him. Right? One uh, planted, one watered, but only God gives the increase. We know this. However, God uses means. And guess who you are in this? You're one of God's means. That sounds, that sounds um, ster uh, sterile. It's not what I mean. God wants to give you the privilege. wants to give me the privilege of being part of His giving the increase. We together are called to do the work of the ministry. 
The pastors and elders are responsible to equip the saints. This is what we try to do every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Saturday morning that I have the opportunity. We're giving the word to equip the saints so that we as a body can do the work of the ministry. Why? So that we can be part of building one another up for the glory of God. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So we're to build one another up with truth. We're to build one another up with our service toward one another. We're to build one another up with words. There's a lot more that could be said that we don't have time to, to dive into those things. Judging and despising, chapter 14, result in the opposite of building up. Three times in 2 Corinthians, Paul spoke of his God-given authority, and he mentions that it was not a means of tearing down, but of building up. Use what God has granted to you to build one another up. One of the primary goals for welcoming one another should be to aid in spiritual progress. Listen to this. All of the differences that we hold will one day be ground to powder. For all our little kingdoms will cease and will be fully integrated into the kingdom of God in full display. That day is coming. We get caught up in our own little personal things. You know what? Take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Your brother, weak as he may be, fledgling along as he may be, is going to be one of those people in that kingdom. It's not the kingdom of Rob. It's not the kingdom of Cornerstone. It's the kingdom of God. All of our differences will be washed away. Theological differences, opinion differences. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to think about. In the meantime... We must seek one another's good. There is no more fruitful way to do this than by remembering the awesome work of the gospel. Head back to Romans 15 as we just conclude in the next couple of moments. For the third time in these few verses, Paul is going to use the word please. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Who was Jesus pleasing? Well, we know the answer to that is very obvious. It'll be on the screen. I'm just going to list a few verses. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Romans 6, 30, excuse me, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then in chapter 8 and verse 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In Psalm 40, he is pre um, foreshadowed by saying this, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And that concept is quoted in the book of Hebrews about our Savior. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me. 
in the scroll of the book. I've come to do your will. In Romans 15.3, Jesus is attributed with this statement made in Psalm 69.9. The reproaches, watch my hands now, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The sinfulness of those who sinned against you fell on me. Jesus essentially says, I am the wrath-removing sin removing sacrifice. And this is truly what we are to celebrate in the next few minutes. It is the basis of our celebration of the Lord's Supper. It is also the basis of why we seek one another's good. It is also the basis of why we welcome one another and why we help one another. Our ministry toward one another is based on the gospel and reflective of the gospel. This means when we do not live this way, we are walking in opposition to the gospel and we are hiding the gospel. Whose job is it to hide the gospel? Satan's. Let's take a look later at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He works diligently trying to hide the gospel. And sometimes when we walk in opposition to the gospel, we're hiding the gospel. Life in Christ. I'm talking about Monday through Monday. Sunday through Sunday. Whatever day you're at, go to the next, every day. Life in Christ is much more significant than we think. God has called us. He's given us an obligation we who are strong have an obligation to the weak. Who is our obligation toward? We are obligated before the Lord, in service for the Lord, in this manner, and it relates to how we deal with one another. And the reason we were desperately attempting to do it is because we've seen it on display in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who took my sin debt upon himself, bore my condemnation and guilt on himself, was judged for sin, my sin, in his flesh, was buried, and God raised him from the dead. This is what we celebrate 